From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Defense Department says it'll start getting vaccines for the coronavirus in the next three weeks. The Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Michael Gilday, says the Pfizer vaccine will be available at 10 locations across the Defense Department. Federal News Network reports Gilday says several overseas locations will distribute the Moderna vaccine. The Centers of Excellence program, the General Services Administration, now has an official legislative endorsement from Congress. President Trump signed a bill Thursday that ensures Congress will support the 10 current centers and others the agency creates. FCW reports the law sunsets seven years from now. The Defense Information Systems Agency is finally ready to release the Defense Enclave Services contract. DISA DES Executive Don Means says the contract will come out this week. NextGov reports the contract's original release date was September. The Environmental Protection Agency has some work to do to make its back-to-the-office plans more clear. The agency's Office of Inspector General finds there are a lot of policies that might confuse employees. Catherine Trimble is the Assistant Inspector General for Audits at the Environmental Protection Agency's Inspector General's Office. Catherine, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. What did you look at and where in examining the EPA's reopening plans? Sure. Um, before I tell you exactly what we looked at, let me provide a little bit of background. Uh, so starting last spring, um, the federal government, including the CDC, issued a series of pieces of guidance for federal agencies to consider as they um, plan to bring their federal employees back into the workplace. So as part of this guidance, it included a phased approach, phases one through three, with phase one being the most um, restrictive and phase three being essentially a return to operations as they were prior to the pandemic, albeit with um, certain health and safety measures in place. So based from there, EPA, um, uh, developed its own location-specific plans um, across the agency for how they would bring their employees back in. And we looked at 13 of those uh, agency-specific plans, sorry, location-specific plans um, at the EPA for phases one and two. And those 13 locations that we looked at um, really incorporated the uh, where the bulk of EPA staff work. What did you find as you looked at those plans for those various locations? I imagine that there were differences among them. Were the differences based on the locations and the conditions in those locations? Were they based on the decisions that EPA leaders made in those various locations? What did you find overall? Yeah, so what we found is that, um, you know, the, the location-specific plans did incorporate, you know, the elements of the CDC and other government guidance. However, um, we found differences by location as to how some of those health and safety measures were addressed. So some of these health and safety measures include, say, face coverings or social distancing um, or public transportation. And we just thought that warranted a closer look. And those are some of the most important elements of the CDC's recommendations, not just for government employees, but for everybody across the country. And I imagine that's what prompted you and your team to write, the EPA should ensure such differences do not place employees at an increased risk of contracting or spreading COVID-19 merely as a result of their work location. What should the EPA do? What are you recommending for the EPA to make these plans more consistent across the, the various locations? 
Yeah, no, thanks, Francis. So what we recommended is that EPA, um, as it starts to consider moving into phase three and refining its phase three reopening plans, that it um, take another look and see, you know, are we adhering to the guidance, you know, first, first and foremost, and then, um, you know, do these differences we have make sense? So in some cases they might. You know, I brought up the issue of public transportation. So at an EPA location where maybe there's not um, a public uh, transportation infrastructure where employees lar largely drive their personal vehicles into the office, you know, it would make sense that a plan for that location isn't super focused on public transportation. But, you know, what we want is, again, you know, take a look when it comes to, to other health and safety measures, make sure that the differences you have by location make sense and, you know, as we said, aren't placing employees at risk. Catherine, the government executive article about your work writes, uh, reports that at the time that you did this work uh, based on EPA status of August 7th, two facilities in phase zero, eight in phase one, two in phase two, one closed. Did you look at the criteria that the uh, locations or that the EPA more broadly made for moving from one phase to another, or was the scope of your work just on how they were deciding what advice to give their employees? Yeah, that's right. So what you're talking about is referred to as gating criteria, how you make the decision to move from phase to phase. And we did not. Um, if folks want to look, our report does contain some information about that gating criteria, but that's not something we assessed um, in particular. We were focused on uh, the plans and then the differences between the plans related to those health and safety measures. What's the takeaway from your work, Catherine, that somebody at another agency, whether in an inspector general's office or a decision maker, What's the takeaway that that person might have for how that person should think about what we're telling employees about coming back to the office? Sure. So I think, um, you know, obviously, and, you know, I know the federal agencies know this, but, you know, there is the guidance out there, that guidance I was talking about from last spring, um, you know, from CDC and others uh, to consider. And then, then really to look where, you know, if there are, you know, based on your different locations, if you do have differences in how you're going to bring employees back in and what those employees can expect in terms of health and safety measures, just make sure that, um, you know, that, that there are reasons for that and that'll be it'll be clear to employees as to what to expect and again to help ensure that they will be safe we have about a minute left Catherine I mentioned that uh, this work was based at the beginning of August is this an issue that you're going to continue paying attention to and might you look at other locations throughout the the chain at EPA so what we're planning to do is, you know, as part of our follow-up to all the work we do um, at EPA OIG, we always have, you know, a discussion with the agency as they prepare their um, responses to our recommendations. And we'll kind of continue a dialogue as to whether those plans address the intent of our recommendations. So that'll be ongoing. But in addition, we do plan to look at EPA's phase three reopening plans as they are issued, as um, EPA brings its offices into, you know, phase three. And then we'll determine at that point whether we think additional work is necessary. Catherine Trimble, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Francis. Up next, envisioning the government in a post-coronavirus world. Straight ahead on Government Matters, why IT in government will never be the same. You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. As the race for the coronavirus vaccine continues, federal leaders are starting to imagine the government after the virus. A group of former chief information officers has a vision for a post-pandemic digitally centered government. Mark Foreman's vice president of digital government strategy for SAIC. He's former eGov administrator at the Office of Management and Budget. Mark, before we begin, I want to shout out to your colleagues, Alan Balutis, John Gilligan, Dan Mintz, and Gloria Parker, who collaborated with you on this project. And I know the themes that all of them have been talking about for a number of years. And what struck me as I read through this is that except for the references to the pandemic and the way that it's impacted the federal government, the themes that are in here are the themes that all of you have been talking about for years. That's a good thing, isn't it? That means that this message of what the post-virus post government landscape looks like should be fairly clear to people, isn't it? Absolutely. Now, a couple of things uh, to build on what you've said. Uh, first of all, I should say that the, the five of us came together under the CIO SAGE group at the Partnership for Public Service. We're looking at a number of papers that different groups have been putting out and, and most of us participating in those groups around how agencies should adapt in transition to the next administration, what the pandemic means. And we decided that there was a gap in the discussion around how do you operationalize some of these recommendations. So we really focused the, the paper on catalyzing the discussion, focusing in on things like how do you take cost out? How do you mine the uh, insights on uh, some of the responses the agencies have had, especially the innovations as a result of the pandemic. And I think the thing that is really new here is that the pandemic has created a lot of innovation and a lot of opportunities that uh, are paradigm shifters. And we didn't have that paradigm shift before. People thought of telework as kind of a luxury as opposed to the nature of the way people will be doing their work in the future. There's a lot more here that we could discuss than we have time to discuss it. So I wanna to get to some of the things that really jumped out at me that really struck me, Mark. You and your colleagues write, government managers should motivate employees to become excited and actively engage in helping design and implement changes that the organization needs to be more efficient and provide better services to citizens. What, I think what we learn from the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey every year is that employees have wanted to do that for a long time. Why is now the right time to do it? Or is it just a matter of today's the second best time, yesterday was the best time? Right. Well, uh, look, the, there are certain things that people have said for years, going back to the, the Paperwork Elimination Act and some of the e-government initiatives, and internal cultural resistance or interpretations of laws have resisted. The notion, for example, now of getting a, a wet signature and requiring on different forms wet signature seems archaic in the notion of how people are doing their work at home, uh, leveraging uh, uh, virtual workspaces, online document workflows. So things that have been mandated for years like electronic signatures are now on the table as the norm, as almost the only way to do the work. And there's a lot more innovations that are coming out of the, the pandemic, we need those to bubble up 
as opposed to the discussions coming top down. You and your colleagues write in this a lot about, I don't know if the right word is digitization or digitalization or what the semantics are. But for example, you, you write about the need to transition from thinking about modernizing the buildings to modernizing the work environments and transforming the work environments. What's the difference in mindset that that's going to require for a leader in, in, in this environment? Well, thing number one is performance management. The notion that the workforce is focused on outcomes and goals, which again, a lot of us have talked about for years, uh, but now this has to go all the way down into supervision. And instead of thinking about uh, how much time you're at your desk or running down the hall to get approval, what's the best way to get that work done by focusing on outcomes and by the same token, we know that this is going to require some IT investment. So uh, I was just in a government office on uh, Friday. It's pretty dark. And you wonder how long can we sustain those capital investments? At some point, uh, people now know the paradigm shifted. We don't need these large government office buildings for people to get their work done. You need some, you need them to, for collaboration, but uh, let's, look at taking the cost out of capital structures that are no longer needed and leveraging that to build on the innovations. I know that you're an IT guy, and I, uh, but I, I know you well enough to know that you're also a very smart business person, and I wonder what the financial management shift will be that's required to move from a CapEx to an OpEx type budget worldview. Right, well, the cloud, as you know, I've been talking about for 10 years, and uh, this is coming now to multiple aspects of government, I think more, more rapidly. It's been building and building, but the, the paradigm shift brought, in, brought about by the pandemic uh, now requires other innovations. And I think you mentioned digitization and digitalization. Uh, the amount of workflows that still were paper-based, granted they were electronic forms of paper, but they were paper-based that now can leverage new technologies, virtualized environments, robotic process automation, freeing up the government employee to really work on where they can leverage their knowledge and their expertise is, uh, is a key part of what we're talking about. We have 20 seconds left, Mark. What's the most important thing that a government leader should do between now and the swearing in of, of uh, President-elect Biden to make sure that they're ready to implement the kind of vision that you and your colleagues are outlining? I think active engagement of the workforce. We've got to mine the uh, innovations and opportunities that the pandemic brought about to spread and take bigger advantage of those within the agency and then ultimately across agencies. Mark Foreman, thanks very much as always. Thank you, Francis. Good to talk with you. Up next, money, money everywhere. Straight ahead on Government Matters, where it's going in the omnibus, in a CR and a new budget that shouldn't even exist. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Welcome back. Congress is in the middle of working through three different spending vehicles at the same time. It'll probably need to pass a continuing resolution to replace the one that expires Friday, and it's working on an omnibus spending bill and another stimulus bill at the same time. 
Mike Hettinger is president of Hettinger Strategy Group. Rich Butel is principal at Cirrus Analytics. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, Rich, Mike said it best, I think, before we went on the air. He said, there's never a dull moment. How do we sort through all of the things that Congress is dealing with this week? Well, I think that we need to look at, at how they're moving forward with respect to both timing and content. I mean, the defense authorization bill has a lot of very unique characters, particularly around artificial intelligence um, and the, the uh, uh, adoption of the Solarity Commission. Mike, how do we put all these pieces together? I didn't even mention the NDAA because uh, I, I was focused on the spending bills. Adding the authorization in here at the same time is just another uh, element of the, another ingredient in this stew, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, I think at the end of the day, Francis, this is, you know, what we see at the end of every year, right? And, and it complicated a little bit now by a presidential transition, complicated by, you know, some of the other things that are that are happening in town. At the end of the day, you know, we're looking, I think, right now at a, at a um, December 18th continuing resolution. I think all of us knew um, when they picked the December 11th date that that was going to be challenging, right, because it could be in the middle of a, of a transition. It could be bumping up against um, the Christmas holiday, right? All those things are, are challenging. Throw in... Um, the potential for a stimulus bill, and um, and now you've got a, a lot of different factors. So um, you know we'll see how it all plays out, but hopefully they're able to resolve this stuff before the uh, before the end of the year. So the December 18th date, Mike, is what you expect to see a week-long CR uh, to give both sides a chance to kind of patch the rest of the pieces together. Yeah, that's right. I mean that's what they're talking about now. But you know if if we were having this conversation a week ago. There was a lot of talk last week about a potential, you know, longer term continuing resolution, something that might take us to, you know, the February time frame. So, I mean, I think now we're looking at that December 18th date, but um, but you never know. Things could change. It always it always does at this time of year. Um, and again, the stimulus, you know, they're talking about a, a bipartisan, you know, about $900 billion stimulus bill, which has the potential to, you know, complicate this stuff as well. Rich, what do you think are the most important things that people inside the agency should be paying attention to in all of this mix? Is it just the date of, uh, uh, of the funding bills and when it gets passed? Or are there other pieces of all of this that people should watch? Well, I think the continuation of, of, uh, of COVID spending and, and stimulus measures are very important, particularly around issues that we care about, such as funding the uh, Technology Modernization Fund. Um, and the extension of Section 3610, which provides relief for contractors who can't get access uh, to physical facilities. So I'd be paying attention to those things that drive IT modernization. What do you see, Rich, in all of this for IT modernization specifically? There's been a lot of conversation that the stimulus bill should include some kind of money for the technology modernization fund or, or, or to go directly to agencies. What's, where does all of that stand right now? Well, right now you've only got 25 million uh, for the stimulus for the uh, uh, for the technology modernization fund that was in the FSSG appropriations bill. Um, and it doesn't look like they're going to get more money, which is unfortunate, I believe, uh, because I think this is important uh, money for uh, agencies to move forward with their legacy IT upgrades. Mike, those uh, those legacy upgrades, uh, the agencies that have been doing those before the pandemic started are saying, boy, we're glad we're started. We, we, it gave us an edge in being able to continue to deliver on mission throughout the pandemic. 
Is that a selling point, do you think, to go to Congress and say, you really should put more money into this, whether it's in the extended deal for 2021 or for 2022? Well, I, I think a lot of these issues are going to bleed over into 2022. I mean, I think I've always thought that, right? And and I was a little surprised, and we may have talked about this before on, on the program, that, you know, more of the, of the IT spending priorities that we identified in the CARES Act were not addressed in um, the fiscal 21 bills. But as we move from our current environment to you know, a post-COVID um, IT environment, I think we're gonna have to take a step back and figure out you know, what do we need to invest in, right? Do we need more um, spending on infrastructure? Do we need to make sure that um, employees who are working from home have commercial business grade um, VPN access? And um, you know, how do we incorporate um, security into that zero trust all these all these sorts of things um, that are really coming to the forefront now because as we've talked about before you know COVID's really changed the way we think about these issues and and as we move into you know next year's spending bills we need to account for that rich what would you like to see what markers would you like to see the new administration lay down regarding that will that uh will that uh kind of will the the predictor of that kind of be the choices that the administration makes for IT leadership, or will there be other things that you think will be indicators of how the, the new administration will try to move forward? Well, I mean, people is policy, um, and for the extent that we bring folks that are innovative and cloud forward in their thinking, um, I think we'll, to maintain the momentum that, that has occurred to date is going to be very important. We've got good uh, career leadership on these issues, people like Maria wrote and others that are very, very solid. Uh, and, and I hope that we can continue that. We see a lot of the former uh, U.S. Digital Service folks coming in uh, to this central to this administration. Um, and we hope that, that they bring people with that vision. Rich Butel, Mike Hettinger, thanks both very much for coming on. Great to have you. I'm Sharice Hanner. Government Matters is always one click away whenever you want to get the latest in the business of government. Like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and connect with us on LinkedIn. While you're on the go, tune into the Government Matters podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.